Chapter Sixteen of Frank Merriwell at Yale, or Freshman Against Freshman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Frank Merriwell at Yale, or Freshman Against Freshman, by Bert L. Standish. Chapter Sixteen: To Break an Enemy's Wrist. Buster Kelly was a character. Professor Kelly, he called himself. He claimed to be a great pugilist, and he was forever telling of the men he had put to sleep, but he couldn't produce the papers to show for it. The public had to take his word, if they took anything. In fact, he had never fought a battle in his life, unless it was with a boy half his size. He made a bluff, and it went. The youngsters who came to Yale and desired to be instructed in the manly art were always recommended to Kelly to give kelly his due he was really a fairly good boxer and he might have made a decent sort of fight if he had possessed the courage to accept a match and the self-denial and energy to go through a regular course of training but kelly was making an easy living catching suckers and there was no reason why he should go through the hardships of training and actually fighting so long as he could fool the youngsters who regarded him as a one-time great and shining light of the prize ring he was too shrewd to stand up with any pupil who might get the best of him and permit that pupil to hammer away at him he kept them at work on certain kinds of blows so he always knew exactly what was coming in this manner of training them he never betrayed just how much he really knew about fighting some of the young fellows became kelly's pupils were the sons of wealthy parents and then it happened that the professor worked his little game for all there was in it he sold them secrets and they paid dearly for what they learned some of the secrets were of no value at all and some were actually worth knowing it happened that he did know how to break a man's wrist in a very simple manner providing he could find just the right opportunity it was a simple trick but the opportunity to practice it could seldom be found in a fight kelly's eyes which were somewhat bleary bulged with greed as he saw browning count out the money it's given your dear trick dirt cheap see said the professor i never sold it less than twice dat amount before that's straight i'll have ter make your promise not ter tell it ter dear other fellows before i instruct you if i buy it it is mine said bruce come off dear roof you enters into an agreement with me dat you don't blow dis ting or i don't tell yer what if i want to tell a particular friend yer don't tell em dat's all i had to pay three hundred dollars to learn dis and sign an agreement dat i wouldn't give it away jim mace taught me dis trick when i sparred with him in liverpool he says to me says he buster you're a good boy dat's what ye are if you know dear trick of breaking a bloke's wrist dere ain't no duffer in de world dat can do yer i'll show yer de crack for sixty pound he wouldn't come down a little bit and i paid him what he asked since dat time i've been knocked round all over de world and it saved me life five times dat was a cheap trick what i got from old jim dat were a dago pulled a knife on me once for to cut me wide open but i broke der dago's wrist quicker dan you can spit well here is your money and now i want to know that trick you agrees not to tell it to anybody yes i agree that settles it 
Kelly took the money and carefully stowed it away in his clothes. Strip up and get into your training rig, he directed. Bruce went into the back room and Buster poked himself in the ribs with his thumb, grinning and winking at his own reflection in the cracked mirror. Oh, say, but I'm a peach, he told himself in a confidential whisper. If your college professors don't get after me again, I'll make me fortune right here. Kelly had originally hung out a sign and advertised to instruct young gentlemen in boxing, but the faculty had made it rather warm for him, and it was generally supposed that he had been forced to leave New Haven. He had not left, but he had changed his quarters to the rooms he now occupied, one flight up at the back of a saloon. In a short time, Bruce called that he was ready, and the professor leisurely strolled into the back room, where there was a punching bag, a striking machine all kinds of boxing gloves and other paraphernalia, such as a man in Kelly's business might need. At one side of the room were several small closets, in which Kelly's pupils kept their training suits while they were not wearing them. The door of one closet was open, and Browning's street clothes were hanging on some hooks inside. Browning had got into trunks, stockings, and light soft-bottomed shoes. He was stripped to the waist. Buster walked around the lad, inspecting him with a critical eye punching here and there with his fingers, feeling of certain muscles and some points where there seemed to be a superabundance of flesh. Well, say, cried the professor, I'd like to know what you're kicking about. I never seen a fellow work off fat no faster than what use has, and that's under dead. Why, when you're comes here, you don't have a muscle that weren't buried in fat, and now they're coming out hard all over you. You'd kick if you was playing football. That's all right, said Bruce, rather impatiently. I know what I want, and I am paying you to give it to me. Go ahead. Don't be so touchy, scowled Kelly. Tackled her bag a while, and let's see how you work. Browning went at the punching bag while the professor stood by and called the changes. He thumped it up against the ceiling and caught it on the rebound thirty times in succession, first with his right and then with his left. Then he went at it with both hands and fairly made it hum. Then at the word, with remarkable swiftness, he gave it fist and elbow, first right and then left. Then he did some fancy work at a combination hit and butt. By the time Buster called him off, Browning was streaming with perspiration and breathing heavily. That's first-rate, complimented the professor. You does that like you was a professional. Great Scott, gasped Bruce. I'd never torture myself in this way if I didn't have to. It's awful. He looked around for a chair, but... Buster grinned and said, "'That's right. Sit right down. Knit. "'Is don't do dat no more in dis joint. "'When I gets yer here, your work's till you're true. "'See? Dat's der way to pull der meat off er man. "'Well, what's next?' "'See if you can raise your record another pound on der striker.' "'Bruce went at the strike machine, "'which registered the exact number of pounds of force "'in each blow it received.' "'Has anyone beaten me yet?' he asked. "'Nah, there ain't nobody come within ninety pounds a year.' Bruce looked satisfied, but he made up his mind to raise his record if possible, and he succeeded in adding twelve pounds to it. "'Say,' exclaimed Buster, "'if that cove what you're after does you, he's a boy.' "'That's just what he is,' nodded Bruce, streaming with perspiration. "'He is a bad man to go against.' If you ever gets at him with that left, you'll knock him out sure. 
he is like a panther on his feet and i shall be in great luck if i find him with my left you don't want to tink that you wants to tink you're going to find him anyhow that's der way i have thought so before and i have discovered that he is a wonderfully hard man to find when you're going to fight him i'm going to try to make him meet me one week from today where i don't know yet is he a squealer i don't believe you could drag anything out of him with horses if that's right you might make it here and it could be kept quiet i'd charge a little something for der use at der room but that wouldn't come out of either use for we'd make the fellers pay what come in to see it we'll see about that said bruce but now i want to learn that trick oh yes i near forgot that well i didn't say if you're used dat on him i don't think we can have de scrap here why not if one of dem freshies got injuries in dis place so bad it might get out and dat would fix me i don't intend to use it on him unless i have to go ahead and explain your trick if it isn't straight i want my money back there won't be any money back for de trick is all right all right now stand up here and i'll show you how it's did kelly then showed bruce how to bring the edge of his open hand down on the upper side of an enemy's wrist just back of the joint you wants to snap it like this buster explained illustrating with a sharp rebounding motion if you strikes him right there with der cushion meat on der lower edge of your hand and snaps your hand away dare like this it's dead sure to break der bone just try it on your own wrist but be careful not to try it too hard bruce did as directed and he found that he hurt himself severely although he struck a very light blow dat's der trick said kelly and it's a dandy don't you ever use it lest you're dead sure you wants to break de otter fellow's wrist then the professor called up a colored boy who rubbed bruce down and the king of the sophomores finally departed as he walked back toward his room in the dusk of early evening brownie began to feel sorry that he had learned the trick at all would be a dirty game to play on Merriwell, he muttered but now that i know it i may get mad and do it in a huff especially if i see Merriwell is getting the best of me the more browning thought the matter over the greater became his regret that he had learned the trick of breaking an opponent's wrist for all that he had a strong feeling against Merriwell. he could see that the leader of the freshmen was square and manly and he did not believe frank would take an unfair advantage of a foe bruce became quite unlike his old jovial self he was strangely downcast and moody and he saw that he was fast losing prestige with those who had once regarded him as their leader hartwick browning's roommate was more bitter against Merriwell. the confounded upstart he would growl think of his coming here and carrying things on with such a high hand when we were freshmen the sophomores had everything their own way they lambdacied us till they became sick of it and all our attempts to get even proved failures now the freshmen who are following the lead of this fellow Merriwell seem to think that they are cocks of the walk i tell you what it is bruce you must do that fellow and you must do him so he will stay done oh i don't believe he is such a bad fellow at heart it wouldn't be right to injure him permanently wouldn't it give me the chance and see if i don't fix him hartwick began to regard his roommate with disdain for goodness sake don't get soft he implored the fellows will say you are chicken-hearted and that will settle your case 
you'll never get back to your old position if you once lose it i'd rather be thought chicken-hearted than hold my position by dirty play hartwick made no report but it was plain to see he entertained a different view of a case like the one in question browning worked like a beaver to get himself in shape for the coming struggle but he promised himself over and over that he would never do such a thing again it was pride and hope that sustained him through his severe course of training no fresh mug can do yours now buster kelly finally declared i'll put me dough on you and i'll win too bruce was really in very good form and he felt that he stood more than an even chance with Marowell. he had seen the freshman fight however and he realized that he would not have a walkover the freshman began to think that Browning feared to meet Merriwell, and they openly told him as much. They taunted him to such an extent that it was with the utmost difficulty he held himself in check till the expiration of the time he had set for getting himself in condition. What if I should see the freshman getting the best of me and should break his wrist, he thought. I might make it appear to be an accident, but I would know better myself i'd get the best of Merriwell, and the fellows would still hail me as king browning but i'd be ashamed of myself all the while it was that thought which troubled him so much and made him appear so grouchy browning is in a blue funk whenever he thinks of stacking up against the freshman one sophomore confidentially told another i believe he has lost his nerve looks that way admitted the other thus it came about that bruce's appearance led his former admirers to misjudge him and he saw a growing coolness toward him i'll meet merriwell on the level he finally decided and i will whip him on the level or i'll not whip him at all then he instructed hartwick to carry a challenge to frank i will fight him with hard gloves said bruce he had decided that with a glove on his hand he could not easily perform the trick of breaking his enemy's wrist in case he was seized by an impulse to do so gloves cried hartwick why man why don't you challenge him to meet you with bare fists because i have decided that gloves are all right the fellows will say you are afraid let them say so if they like returned bruce but he winced a bit as if a tender spot had been touched hartwick did his best to induce his friend to challenge merriwell to a fight with bare fists but bruce had made up his mind and he was obstinate so it came about that hartwick carried the challenge just as browning desired and it was promptly accepted Merriwell was not a fellow who sought trouble but he knew he must meet browning or be called a coward and he did not dally he quietly told hartwick that any arrangements mr browning saw fit to make would be agreeable to him in that way he put browning on his honor to give him a square deal the matter was kept very quiet it was decided that the match should come off in kelly's back room and a few of Merriwell's and browning's friends should be invited bruce paid for the room and firmly sat on the professor's scheme to charge admission this is no prize fight he rather warmly declared we are not putting ourselves on exhibition like two pugilists it is a matter of honor well if you's college chaps don't get their darndest ideas into your nuts muttered kelly who could not understand browning's view of an affair of honor you's take their cream that's what you do on saturday afternoon one week after the rush at the park certain students might have been seen to stroll one at a time into the saloon over which were the headquarters of professor kelly 
it was three in the afternoon that about twenty lads were gathered in buster's training room to witness the meeting between Marywell and browning tad horner was chosen referee look here he said before the first round if any man here isn't satisfied with my decisions let him meet me after the match is over and i will satisfy him or fight him this was said in all earnestness and it brought a round of applause and laughter it was agreed that it should be a six-round contest not more and no less unless one side threw up the sponge or another of the men was knocked out rattleton was frank second and hartwick represented bruce a regular ring had been roped off and the men entered from opposite sides at a signal much to his disgust kelly was not allowed to take any part in the affair both lads were stripped to the waist Marowell was clean-limbed but muscular while browning was stocky and solid the sophomore had gotten rid of his superfluous flesh in a wonderful manner and he looked to be a hard man to tackle the gloves were put on and then the rivals advanced and shook hands an instant later they were at it and the decisive struggle between them had begun their movements were so rapid that it was difficult for the eyes of the eager spectators to follow them both got in some sharp blows and the round ended with a clean knockdown for browning who planted a terrific blow between Marywell's eyes and sent the freshman to the floor. The softs were jubilant, and the freshmen were downcast. Marywell simply laughed as he sat on Rattleton's knee. "'We jizz, I mean, gee whiz,' sputtered Harry. "'Are you going to let that fellow do you? The softs will never get over it if you do. Hear him laugh.' "'Don't worry,' smiled Frank. "'This is the beginning. There must be an ending. Do him.' do him bruce fiercely whispered hartwick in the ear of his principal it's plain enough that you can i think i can said bruce confidently the softs offered three to two on browning and many bets were made then time was called and the rivals advanced once more the second round was hotter than the first if possible and Marowell drew first blood by giving browning a heavy one on the nose it ended with both sparring and neither seemed to have a decided advantage now the freshmen were encouraged, and they expressed their confidence for their man. More bets were made, the sophomores still giving odds. The third round filled the freshmen with delight, for Marowell knocked Browning off his feet twice, while he seemed to get no heavy blows himself. The softs became quieter, and no money at odds was in sight. In fact, the freshmen tried to get even money, but could not. The fourth and fifth rounds were filled with good, sharp, scientific work but toward the close of the fifth both men seemed a trifle groggy neither had a decided advantage dat Marywell is a boy declared buster kelly enthusiastically why dat chap could be der champion of de world if he went into de business for fair dat's on der level too both lads were battered and bruised and there was blood on their faces when they retired to their corners at the command of horner he's a nut confessed frank he has given me some soakers and he takes his medicine as if he liked it you'll finish him next round sure fluttered harry i shall buck the kick it i mean kick the bucket if you don't how is it hartwick eagerly asked as he wiped the blood from browning's face can you finish him next round i shall try but i don't believe the fellow can be licked unless he is killed that's what i think of him didn't i hear you say you knew a trick that would do him yes but it's not a square deal although no referee could call it foul if this were a fight with bare fists as it is i'd have to get my glove off do it 
do it you're a fool if you don't then i'm a fool that man has trusted this entire affair to our honour and if i can't whip him fair i won't whip him at all you make me sick sneered hartwick at the call the two men promptly faced each other for the final round at first they were a bit wary but then as if by mutual agreement they went at each other like tigers blow followed blow but it was plain that one man was getting quite as much as the other brownie got in one of his terrific drives but it was not a knockout and merriwell had the sophomore up against the rope three times time break away yelled tad horner forcing himself over between the combatants it's all over what's the decision shouted a dozen voices a draw was the distinct answer i declare it an even thing between them there was a moment of silence and then bruised and smiling frank merriwell tore off his glove and extended his hand off came browning's glove and accepted the hand of the freshman End of chapter 16